of Ashley Writing. I'm Dave Starald. And I'm Alexander Wales. And this is episode 14, Time Travel. So last time we talked about prophecies and how they tend to undermine a lot of what people can enjoy in fiction, like organic uh, motivations and characters, and tension in action scenes and things that you know that certain characters are going to be alive, or making it so that the challenges and conflicts in the story are very contrived. But in prophecy is kind of an implied time travel of data. So how would you differentiate the two in terms of the value that time travel can put in stories versus prophecies? Um, I guess I would, I guess I would start with saying that usually if there's an object, it's much more of a time travel story. If, if a person time travels, um, I think that if you just have information time traveling, you're, you're not stepping that far away from prophecy. There's a, an anime called Orange, where this girl gets these letters from the future. And that is very much, it's a time travel story in that sense, that she's getting these things that are from the future, but it is in many ways like a prophecy instead, because it's just static text. And there's the whole, like, these things are going to come true, and like this is how you like try to avoid them and things like that. So yeah, I guess I I guess I would say that time travel is anything where you have either physical objects or people traveling through time rather than just data. But it's a it's a blurry line. I consider a prophecy to be a strict subset of time travel. Mm-hmm. And time travel stories, in my experience, tend to focus a lot more on the how and and effects of time travel. Like prophecy stories very rarely dip into like where the prophecies come from and how you you know what what they mean for free will and time travel stories usually will delve into those as a matter of course like in terms of the main way to resolve the conflict that the time travel represents. Yeah, and I think that there are there's a lot that I placed under the time travel umbrella. I think a lot of alt history is is time travel like the um sixteen whatever the the Ring of Fire series is the this like coal mining town gets transported back in time into Europe in Germany. And that's a time travel story. These people are moving backwards in time, but that's just sort of the setup for There's no there's no real further time travel, it just kind of stops there. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of old history does that. It's transplanting people from different times and places. Yeah. We, and those are time travel stories. We are not gonna probably spend too much time on them because they are really more of like fish out of water stories than they are time travel stories. Right. And then you have other times that time travel is used. Like there's a movie called Kate and Leopold, which is a romantic comedy with Hugh Jackman. And he Lord that comes from the past into the present. Yeah. Um, he comes from the past into the present. And then he has this romance with this like uh, Meg Ryan, who's a businesswoman executive. And then it's, it's a, fish out of water story but then he goes back and uh, spoilers for this <laughs> movie but he goes back in time and then they she like comes to live with him and it's sort of about this clash of cultures thing and she presumably doesn't kill everyone around her with the diseases from the 21st century right and, and it, is, it is a time travel movie uh but time travel is not time travel is the central focus mm-hmm. in that it's sort of about bringing the past into the present and then sort of that that tension there, but it's not it's not really a time travel movie, right? In that its focus is not time travel as such. It's about this 
it's about the past and the future and the, the sort of tension between them. Although it does include a lot of the time travel tropes that um, we'll talk about to some extent later. Yeah. So time travel, again, like it'll, it'll usually bring up questions of what the time travel itself is and how it affects the world. And the things that a lot of people are familiar now with are the different models of time travel. So let's go into those just so people understand like what the, what the different ways you can structure a, a time travel concept in a story as. Yeah. So there are a lot of them. I think the, the three that I'm going to sort of harp on are there's static timeline, which is where you can't change the past and you can't change the future and everything is sort of set in stone in a timeless sort of way. So you can go back into the past maybe or into the future, but you can't change outcomes at all. And any attempt at changing outcomes will fail and you'll be left with the same timeline as there was before. There is uh, multiple timelines, which is you go back to the past and you change something and then you go into the future and you see that everything has changed. That's um, the sound of thunder is, I think, the not originator of that necessarily, but it's the most popular one. You step on a butterfly and then there are Nazis or whatever. And then there's ripple effect, which is where you sort of have this this leeway for you go into the past and you make a change and it takes a while to propagate into the future. So you have like a chance to to stop things before they are changed too much. Right. Maybe like sub light speed. Yeah. There's a ripple going through the timeline, changing stuff that you can jump ahead of. Yeah. The real-time strategy game, Akron, does that model. And they it's sort of like implemented in-engine, which is really cool. Right, yeah. There are like some limits on it, but you can go back into the past and you have to like try to make sure that through these ripples that keep going forward, which you can track on your little bar, that you're not like creating paradoxes or... What's it called? Akron. Akron, okay. So yeah, that's a really cool thing to play around with. There's also another format, which we probably won't talk about as much, where someone can time travel into the past and affect the past, and that timeline goes forward differently. But if they would ever somehow go back to their own timeline, nothing would change because it's just a different world completely. Yeah. Which is more of a multiverse story than a time travel story, but still has a lot of the same themes again. Yeah. So to take static timeline first, I think that's I think that's the hardest to do well. You have to really think the most about the consequences of time travel within a single world. So nothing that happens in the past can't... Yeah. You can put some limits on static time travel. You can limit where and when people can time travel to, which reduces your complexity a lot and lets you cheat a little bit. Because if you just if you just have... I mean, time travel is a magic system, basically. Right. Mm-hmm. We already talked about those. Um, but you can you can place your limits on movement through time such that you're constraining the story into something manageable. If you just have if you're just trying to tell a story where anyone can time travel to any time or something like that, it's not you're, you're going to have a lot more trouble fleshing it out while making sure that everything into the future and everything into the past sort of. Lines matches up. this yeah this yeah. cause and effect that you're trying to build so uh that's that's i think the other problem of static timeline is that you risk being constrained by it and i think you also are necessarily going to have to tell a story about fighting fate to some extent mm-hmm. 
if you have a hero and he sees his wife die or something, that's got to be a story about fighting fate. Because if you have the ability to travel into the past and you there's like this huge traumatic thing that you don't change. Right. It becomes, like you said, a story about fighting fate and a story about kind of the futility of our actions. Because within within the other time travel stories, what you're doing is opening the possibility up for a happy ending or maybe a not-so-bad ending. Whereas with a static timeline, you may not necessarily know that it's a static timeline right away in the story, but once it's known as a static timeline story, you know that the direction that the ending is going to go is not going to be that he ends up saving his wife. It's going to be like character growth, you know, learning, and if there's a happy ending, it might be one about moving on and, you know, finding some other other thing to uh, to value and, and hold on to in his life. Uh, but it's it's not going to have the happy ending that you originally might think that the, the character is going after. Yeah. Like, if you have in your first act a building blow up, that building stays blown up, basically. You can you can have manipulations. I think I think static timeline tends to sort of descend into its conceit fairly often, because you you know, you, you have a building blow up in the first act, and then there is either no resolution to that, or which is terrible from a writing perspective, or you spend your second and into your third act explaining how your character decides to blow this building up, or how they, like, manipulate their time travel or whatever to... Um, to save everyone in the building before it blows up or, some, or something like that. But both of those sort of descend into the conceit of the static timeline model, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where you're sort of revolving around that rather than revolving around the agency of the character or, or something like that. I have a unfinished novel, which is the Timewise Tales, that takes place in that sort of world. It's the static timeline world. Um, but it's it's difficult because you have to you have to take so much into account there your cause and effect are sort of mingled together in a lot of ways and you need to make that interesting to the reader and that can be hard to do Mm -hmm. one of the really neat things in connie willis's she wrote blackout and all clear and firewatch and uh the doomsday book and say nothing of the dog and these are all using the same static timeline model, but it's, they have this conceit of uh, slippage where you try to go into the past and you don't always end up at the correct date or in the correct place. And that sort of greases the wheels as far as making your, your cause and effect line up. So you don't have as much of that question about, you know, I see my wife die in the first act, and then why why can't I just go back? Right. If you try to go back, you end up in someplace else or some other time, and so you have this additional complication that comes in. I thought that was really clever. Mm-hmm. Uh, a really clever way to deal with that inherent problem. It's just sort of introduced this complication to it, just sort of naturally into the magic system. Right. This is the interesting idea in, in Doctor Who, where his time travel machine, the TARDIS basically doesn't always send him where exactly he wants or when exactly he wants. And 
this is usually a plot device, right? It's it's to get him to points of conflict and, and things that'll make the episode exciting instead of him just gallivanting around and having fun. There's occasionally he has to come up with, with excuses for why he can't go directly to specific times and places, which are the like these are these places are uh, have too much time travel going on there, or he's already he can't loop back into his own timeline or things like that. And complications like that, limitations like that, can help time travel become less of a, as long as you're consistent with them anyway, but less of a all-powerful weapon for solving your problems. Yeah. Like, the idea that you really only have one chance to get something right can help a lot in the whole, like, oh, he's got a time machine, like, what's, you know, where's the conflict now? Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that you can do really well with static timeline, just sort of inherently to the system, is that if you know that you can't change the past or the future then you can still go into unknown areas where you don't know where the past or future is and and sort of try to affect outcomes that way. And then you still have this sort of risk going in because if it goes poorly, you can't you know that you can't loop back because it's static and you you know that you can't change it. But so long as it as you don't know what it is, it's uh it's still changeable. Yeah. Speaking of changeable, there is a uh, multiple timeline time travel, which is sort of a big tent as far as time travel stories go but it's you go back into the past and you change things and then you come into the future and the world is different and how much the world is allowed to change depends very much on the story there is a for want of a nail is the like poem or song or whatever for for want of a nail the horse lost its Mm -hmm. shoe for want of a shoe the you know the horse uh broke its leg and the... It was uh, for, for want of a nail, the, ho- uh, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the, the horse was lost. For want of the horse, the battle was lost. Uh, for want of a battle, the war was lost. For, or something like that. And then it ends with, for loss of the um, battle, the kingdom was lost. All for the want of a horseshoe nail. Yeah. So th- there, are two, there are two sides of it, basically. There's uh, for want of a nail and in spite of a nail. And you can do... <sighs> the more rational one... I think personally is for want of a nail where things just go wildly off course because there's so many little matters of random chance. Right. And the the biggest one, the one thing that I have to set aside the most when I read, uh, especially alternate history stuff is when someone has a child, it's one sperm and one egg. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's one sperm out of millions. So it's, very much down to small changes in circumstance can can completely change the DNA that a child would end up with, or even whether a child is conceived. And so if you have something like Back to the Future, where Marty McFly goes back in time and he causes his parents not to meet, and then there's this whole big thing, and then they get together in a different way, there should not be an identical-looking three children that that, that couple has, mm-hmm. right? If you were doing it in a very materialist, consequentialist sort of way. But obviously that's not the case in Back to the Future because that ruins it right? more more or less. Where if Marty McFly comes back and then you're like, oh, we don't know who you are. You don't have a birth certificate anymore. You don't have a driver's license. It's valid in the state of California. Your life is basically over. But that's a horrifying ending to Back to the Future that does not play well narratively. Right. I, I think that's one of the... One of the dangers that you can run into with the multiple timeline thing is you don't you don't want your multiple timelines to wipe out 
the entire future for, for a character. You, you don't want to just lose these conflicts that you've set up. You, so if you set up a conflict and someone goes into the past and changes, changes something, you want that conflict to still be there and waiting for them. Right. It's a different kind of story then. It's now about how they deal with the fact that everything they knew is different. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's why Back to the Future does it that way. I don't think that makes that much sense. I mean, you can you can have a throwaway line like they do in a lot of time travel movies is that it's like, oh, some some events or some people are like foreordained and mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't. That soothes the sting of it a little bit for me, but does not remove it completely. Like if you travel back in time to like the Civil War and then you come back and all of human history is as it was right. that. That uh, does not sit too well with me, it just, it, but it, it's one of those things like that you just sort of have to set aside when when you're reading, which I think rational fiction ideally does not do. Right. It, to me, it's kind of a cheat. It, it's it's basically saying I want to tell this story and I want to tell this story so badly that I don't really care what the logical consequences of what I write is. I'm just going to ignore them so I can tell the story that I want to write. Um, which again fairly common in, in, in fiction, ideally not something you should do in national fiction. Yeah. So I, I think there are a couple of ways to deal with that sort of rewriting of history. Branches on the Tree of Time is my Terminator fanfic and follows the multiple timelines model. The, the Terminator franchise itself, the first movie is pretty much a static timeline movie. It sort of like wraps around on itself and you're like, oh, okay, this thing at the end caused this thing as big. And then the the subsequent movies are not that. It's somewhat debatable. I I argue this with people online a lot, but I think that there's no way to necessarily make sense of Terminator outside of the multiple timeline model Mm -hmm. because things do change. But in Brainstorm Tree of Time, how it's it's sort of justified that any child of Sarah Connors is going to be Focal. the savior of yeah. mankind. But it's not because of any genetics or anything like that. It's because they would be Sarah Connors' child, mm-hmm. right? And it's that, that's the common denominator among among these saviors of mankind. Like if you potentially were to have her child be taken away from her at birth and then raised by someone else with a different name, that child would not become the savior of mankind because they're no longer identified as Sarah Connor's child by everyone else. Yeah, and I think that that is, you know, it's it's sort of this hokum nonsense that in, in the Terminator movies that, you know, Sarah Connor destined to have this child who grows up to save the world. Right. Dealing with self-fulfilling prophecies of, of time travel is important because it indicates to the reader and the viewer and everything that, like, you're aware of the usually unintended consequences of things like that, right? Like, people aren't going to usually go back in time with the idea of, like, look, we just need to go back, set these rumors in place so that so that what we want to occur happens by by lieu of self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, if there are stories like that, I haven't read them yet, but they'd be pretty interesting ones. I mean, Vangel Entry of Time is probably my favorite time travel story that I've read. I've usually been irritated by time travel stories in one sense or another, but found them entertaining. But they very rarely will deal with that kind of, that level of, of thinking with time travel. Yeah. Like, I can accept that World War II happens in a lot of timelines mm-hmm. but that it happens in this because you know that world war ii is sort of a consequence of a lot of things 
of of a lot of things that are just going to be there. Even if you don't have Hitler, you probably are still going to have World War II. Command Conquer Red Alert games are famous for basically having someone answer the question of what happens if you go back in time and kill Hitler. And the answer is World War II happens against uh, the Soviets instead. And yeah. basically, the Ger- Germany is on the Allied side, and the Soviet Union is is the main aggressor in World War II. Yeah, but so long as you have so long as you have these forces that are still sort of so long as all the fundamentals are there, right. you're still going to have World War II. I think that that's a good way of dealing with the uh, multiple timeline issue of I go back in time and then I come into the future and everything is different. Right. The other risk I think that you have for multiple timelines is that you can remove too many consequences. If you can go back in time and just fix your mistakes, or you can go back in time and have your life, have your wife be living again. If you don't have constraints put on your time travel, it just makes conflict sort of meaningless. If we know that if our hero dies, we're just going to switch to a different perspective from a universe where they live, that saps tension from the story, uh, which is a bad thing. And that that applies to any like multiple universe type thing. That's Rick and Morty does a lot of stuff with multiple universe things, and it's not a drama or anything, so that's fine. But if you were doing a drama, having someone, you know, having someone die and then just stepping in a new universe to get the replacement, um, it sort of takes all of the all of the drama out of that death. And I think that's something you need to be really aware of if you're doing the multiple timeline thing, mm-hmm. that you're not taking tension or, or drama out of the story by making things too easy to change. Right. And that, again, if you're going to change something, think about it realistically, like the changes that would that would result, the butterfly effect, so to speak. There's a lot of times when like someone will, will change something, you know, something very superficial and directly tied to the change that they made in the past will, will show up in the future. There's a comedic scene in Dragon Ball Z Abridged where someone is <laughs> someone is punched between the legs. A male is punched between the legs very hard. And as part of a brief flash forward to their children in the future, one of the children who was already born before that point is there with another child who was born after that point. And the younger child just slowly fades out of existence as the other person talks to them. And they, after a moment they go... What am I doing out here? And it's, it's funny because obviously, like, they just had their memory wiped of their younger brother, but like, they wouldn't even be standing out there at that time without that, right? Right? Like, it's not like a a ripple that's just focusing in on just this person and everything about them. It's a ripple about the entire timeline changing. Yeah, that is the number one thing that bugs me about Back to the Future. Yeah, it's because he has this photograph of himself and his his two siblings, and he sees them fade out of existence, but then why would he still have this photograph, right? Right. It's, it's such a good way of showing to the viewer that things are changing and he's running out of time, but it makes no sense. Yeah, realistically, not realistically, that's the wrong word for this conversation, but a better way to do that would have probably just been to have the photograph itself fading, and then it brings up its own questions of, like, how does a physical object fade if you're still holding it? And like, what does that mean? But like, then at least the whole idea is this photograph would not be taken if these two people do not get together because they don't have kids, not one by one, their children are somehow not being born like in the future where they're not together. I don't know. Yeah. And I love back to the future. It's my, maybe not my favorite. I think my favorite is probably primer, but I, I love Back to the Future, but it, there's their visual way of showing the changes doesn't 
really work for me. Right. And once again, these things that we talk about, not to say that you can't enjoy a time travel story that breaks these rules, our idea is just like, you know, let's let's identify what does make them problematic and try to fix them. Yeah. There's still lots yeah. of entertaining time travel stories. Yeah. Looper. Looper, Looper oh my god. Thing. Yeah. It, and I, I liked Looper. Yeah, I thought it was great. Very, very fun movie. There was, you know, this guy like looks down at his arm and then there's a message <laughs> carved into it. And it's like, well, I mean, are your memories he also not, somehow not caught up to? Are you, why are you still in the same place if you <laughs> know it? Like, it doesn't make any any sense, but it's no. a really engaging scene. Impactful yeah. to see him sort of like losing body parts. I thought it was like horrifying and really like impactful, but at the same time, like five seconds after the scene was over, I was like, that doesn't work at that, all. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't work at all. Like you haven't established a model of time travel under which this is sensible, right? And yeah, and not only does that not really work even in itself, but it doesn't work for the rest of the time travel in the story, kind of, because there are other times when people do suddenly remember things that happened differently in the past. Yeah, That's, and Looper mm-hmm. Looper sort of uh, discards all this. By just saying, oh, if we start talking about the mechanics of time right. travel here all day, in a very funny meta way that doesn't solve anything. Yeah, it's the timey-wimely, wibbly-wobbly Doctor Who line. It's in, in today's genre-savvy world, you have to be aware of the fact that time travel is going to raise a lot more questions than answers, and there are really very few satisfying ways to cross all those bridges and, and make them all nice and neat, but... You try because you don't want your readers and viewers distracted by things like that while they're watching the movie. Yeah, and especially not if you're like billing your time travel as rational fiction. Right. So how much do we need to talk about Ripple Effect? So the Ripple Effect is, is kind of the what most people think of when they think of time travel. Stack timeline is more realistic but less intuitive. It's not as fun as a lot of other time travel. Yeah. The And the multiple timeline one is... More fun, but also more disastrous. Yeah, and and I think it partly dips into a different genre. Yeah, whereas the ripple effect is is the one that you see a lot in, like we were talking about, movies that don't really put too much time into into consistency of the time travel. And I mean, I'm sure there's a way to do them rationally somehow. You just have to make you have to you have to make up and then establish rules that you that you set very cleanly in the in yeah. the narrative. Which is why I think Akron the RTS game mm. is a really good example because it's all it's all done in a computer. It's all done in an engine that's capable of handling right. all of the issues with Ripple Effect. Uh, there was a great TV show. Um, there was only one season called Flash Forward. And Flash Forward was basically everyone in the world has a uh, goes into a, a brief coma and dreams about something that will happen to them. X amount of time in the future. I forgot exactly what it was. I think it was like three months. They, they figure out what exact... Someone, like some people see a calendar in their vision so they know what date it is. But, um, you know, some people are just doing regular things with their life, nothing special. Like one guy is just like sitting in a, in a bathroom stall, so like the whole time, so he's got nothing. But other people are like in life and death situations. Other people are like married to someone different. They're in different countries. And everyone wakes up and is, you know, after everyone gets over the panic of thousands of people dying in car crashes and plane crashes and stuff, just figuring out like what happened and how true these visions everyone has are. And they explore it really well. A lot of people who didn't see anything in their flash forward basically become nihilists and, and realize, not nihilists, but fatalists, and realize that they're going to die some point between now and then, so they just kind of go all out with their life. And one character is 
distraught over what he believes it's it's murder, but it's you know it's accidental. He where he kills someone in in the future, and he really does not want to kill that person. And everyone's asking these questions like you know can you prevent it and and like what can you do? And like some people do some some steps to try to avoid the future from coming about, but then like something else happens that shows that oh it's actually still going to happen. So everyone's freaking out. And this guy basically just gets on the roof of a building turns to his friend who's trying to talk him down and says, if I do this right now, there's no way I can kill this other person, and it'll prove that, for everyone, that you can change your fate. And he jumps off and and he dies. And so everyone's kind of like, hey, this guy killed himself to subvert his future, so clearly it can't necessarily be set in stone. But of course, time travel happens so... Like, the very second you've got that information from the future, because it acts in this sense not as time travel proper but as a prophecy right you've you've changed things the information itself has changed how people will act from the moment they get that information and so it's not an absolute change it's just like every time you make a decision something's changing that can still be changed itself when you go either farther back or you make new get new information or whatever it is yeah and i think ripple effect is used most often as a preservation of the status quo yeah type of story it's i mean that's that's what Back to the Future is, the first movie, I guess. He's, he's trying to set what set everything right again. And he comes to the future, and things are better for him. Right. right? Even though that doesn't really... Like, he doesn't have any the same set of memories that he should have, right? Yeah, and sometimes they'll do that thing where, like, once they get back to the... It also, it also, this largely depends on whether it's magic-based or technology-based. Like, he is driving in a car that that like disappears in one time and, and reappears in the other. So there's no clear delineation between like you know when he exists in one timeline versus another. Like when when is he him and when is he him from the other timeline. But um, in magic situations, like you'll you'll have this thing where people will like will remember both timelines and they'll start getting the new memories that they that, that are generated from the actions in the past. Yep, uh, Terminator Genesis does that. It it, it mixes in the like. I don't know. It's a mess. But <laughs> I they, still haven't they, seen they, it. Yeah. They mix in, you know, it's already a franchise that had all these different things going on. And then they mix in people getting memories from timelines that didn't actually happen. Mm-hmm. Which is, this is a structure that tends to lend itself towards the least rational kind of stories for time travel. But at the same time, it, it can be an interesting model to use if you make it consistent because now you have a what's essentially like a, a constantly running simulation of the world that you can go back to different points and change stuff in and because presumably you as the time traveler are given you know a certain special class of of ability to to remember the previous timeline if you remove that and make it so that once you change the time of the past, like even you are changed and you no longer can go back to your present timeline where you where you were. Then there's a lot of uh, what was that? No, that was it was more of a multiverse story. But um, the one with yeah, with Jet Li. Right, right, right. There was an interesting thing where they basically find him a a timeline where he didn't exist or was already or was already killed or something that he could live in with his wife who was killed in in, in his world, and yeah. that kind of idea of like you know i can change the past and then go back to the present and and with things better you're basically doing a multiverse thing but you're doing it all in one world you're just pretending that the multiverse kind of all 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 the potential possibilities that can happen from people changing the past are happening now yeah 
And I think it really becomes problematic when you've got multiple people changing the timeline because then you've got different time ripples. It's like, what if you're just living your life day to day and then things just change on you? Like, you wouldn't even know it, presumably, because you weren't a time traveler that, that changed things that time. Yeah. It might be interesting if there's, like, multiple time travelers that, like, once you've time traveled, you will retain your memories of time travel regardless. But in that situation, I guess it's easier just to do multiverse anyway. I don't know. Yeah. I think every model of time travel sort of lends itself to natural stories. And I think Ripple Effect Ripple Effect has, I think, the best for the preservation of the status quo because you, you know, bad guy disappears into the past and then you have to, like, go back into the past and stop him mm-hmm. also. But I think it, I think that there are, there are natural stories that you sort of expect once you set up your Ripple Effect model that I think are compelling and good. It's just a matter of getting your Ripple Effect model correct so that you can sort of track these ripples, right? Like, the ripple moves forward in time at a rate of, like, 10 seconds per second. Right. So... If they go back 100 years, you've got 10 to yeah. fix it. which is neat. Yeah. And, and it lends itself to, to different sorts of stories. Time Cop uses that as well. Time, Time Cop, I think, is the was one of the first ones who actually calls it that, calls it the ripple, and then they can see the ripple coming somehow so they know when someone's been screwing around with the timeline. But, you know, Back to the Future sort of uses that model, too, because... In a weird, continual... Yeah, in, in a, in a weird sort of kludgy way, because yeah. he's looking at this photo and he's seeing his his siblings sort of disappear piece by piece, and he's seeing this ripple move forward in time. You know what? You know what might explain that? He, he's I don't remember exactly which order they disappear in, but if like the oldest one disappears first, and the second yep, oldest, that, and then him, is that it? Yep, that's what it is. Yeah, because okay. his his oldest sibling sort of like half disappears and then fully disappears, and then his sister starts disappearing and then he starts disappearing and then it's towards the end of the movie and his hand starts you know, slowly fading right yeah so, so yeah that's that's a potential of like the ripple is moving forward in time and wiping out the older siblings one at a time which is you know that works that's kind of a thing but it also can just be that like um this event is not stopping his parents from getting together yet it's just delaying it so that they don't end up having their older children but they yeah. do have the younger ones but again this still is the same problem of, like, once you change something in the past, the, the, the future is not the exact same except for minus those those convenient, neat and tidy things. Like, everything changes. Like, you, you know, yeah. the, the first child it would just be a completely different person because of the combinations of, of sperm and eggs and all that stuff. But um, Yeah. And I think I think one of the things with that I see a lot with time travel is that, like, big events you can't change. Mm-hmm. Or, like, people you can't change necessarily. But little things you can. So you could you could save your wife from death, but you couldn't stop World War II. But then you need to... Like, if you're going to do it rationally, I think you probably would want a formalized system for saying what is a big event and what is a small event. Right. And how, how it, does this course correction sort of work in some sense. Right. So yeah, the, those are the basic three, and then there are hybrids like you just talked about where the yeah. certain things are focal points in time and everything all the little stuff is more likely to be changed yeah and then you can also do portals like there's a like standing portal between 100 years ago or whatever the uh that Stephen King novel the JFK assassination novel has it where every time you go through the door it like resets 
all of history, basically, mm-hmm. with a bunch of weird exceptions thrown in there. I, I never actually finished the book, but <laughs> I watched two episodes of the show. So. But yeah, I, I think that there are a lot of there are a lot of different ways that you can do beyond that. I think you just need to look at look at the natural stories that sort of come out of the models, and then know what the risks are. Yeah. Right. Know know where you're likely to run into problems, both in terms of rationalizing it and in terms of uh, what it's doing to the story as far as tension and characterization goes. One thing I did want to mention is for the multiple timelines model, I think Primer does a very interesting thing where it you have these people who, who go back in time, right? Um, and it looks at first like it's a static timeline as you're sort of, as you're sort of watching it. Um, because, you know, they, they see themselves leave the storage area and then they, they go in and they get in these time travel coffins, basically. They go back in time and then they, they themselves leave that storage area and everything is self-consistent, but it's multiple timeline model sort of disguising itself as the static timeline. Right. And in order to get around the problem of devaluing characters by just having like, you know, a hundred universes, then right, right. protagonist if there are 99 left. Yeah. Or if every conflict can just be sort of washed away. They have, you know, their time travel model is such that when you go back into the past, you have to deal with your duplicate there. <laughs> um, so you, you can't just, you know, be like, oh, my wife died. I'm just going to go <laughs> right, right. and undo it. Cause you, there is your own self back there. And then you need, you have this like moral dilemma. Do you kill them or do you like drug them and keep them in the attic? And if, if, if you're willing to do that, then who's to say that your clone from the future wouldn't do that to you? Yeah. So this is something I wanted to also bring up in, in time travel stories. It's always about the characters themselves moving back or forward in time. It's very rarely about like this is the present day and everyone's happy and and you know pleasant and and well not but you know there's problems in the world whatever and then someone from the future comes and then needs to stop things from being ter- going terribly wrong. Terminator is kind of like the main example, um, you know, trying to stop apocalypse and stuff like that. But it's much rarer because there's very little from the non time travelers perspective that they can do in that circumstance, right? The agency is all in the time traveler who knows what's coming in the future and wants to prevent it, whereas the average person um, may not even be aware that the time traveler shows up or anything. But once the time travel starts occurring in the world, it should keep going, right? Like, there's no there's no point in time then when people should just be like, all right, we've, we've fixed everything, and now time travel is illegal. Like, good luck with that, right? Like, presumably... Yeah something is always going to warrant people going back in time and changing stuff, which is brings up an interesting question of, like, are time travelers around us now? Like, would we even know about it? Is there some secret time travel war going back and forth, and is everyone just kind of being affected by it without realizing it moment to moment? Which I think is a lot of unexplored space in stories, but maybe I just haven't read enough time travel fiction to know. No, I think I think that's true. Because I, I, I love time travel. I watch, I mean, I watched Kate and Leopold. Uh, so <laughs> I, I I read a ton of time travel stuff. It's it's pretty uncommon. Be, I mean, it's certainly very popular to have sort of time travel way stations where there are like, but it, a lot of that sort just sort of plays into alt history or like fish out of water stuff. Right. It's not about time travel per se. I highly recommend Palimpsest 
by Charles Strauss, a novella about time travel. It's probably one of the best I've ever read. What's it called? Palimpsest, which is a term for, um, they had a, if you have a sheet of vellum and you write on it, sometimes you're coming to that sheet of vellum, like, 10 years after the fact, and you don't care about what's written on it anymore, so you sort of scrape it away. Uh-huh. You can, like, scrape the layer off and then use it as a fresh fresh sheet. That's sort of the metaphor for their time travel model. Got it. So those are the basic ways to do time travel in fiction. And like we said, a lot of it kind of has some overlap with multiverse, which is a whole different topic. Join us next time where we talk more about multiverse stories and how to deal with a lot of the problems that we brought up in this one. And stay tuned after this episode for an Audible ad. Audible is offering a free 30-day trial with one free book credit for anyone who wants to support the show. The book that I'm going to recommend this week is How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe by Charles Yu. It is a time travel book that has a lot of uh, other elements put in, a lot of science fictional things, as the title suggests. It deals a lot with fate and how to fight it, and is, to some extent, a character study. I really enjoyed it. It is uh, a very meta sort of book that knows its tropes very well and knows its science fiction very well and uh, plays with it in a lot of, I thought, really pleasant ways. So if you want to go check that out, go to www.audibletrial.com slash rational, and uh, you can get a free 30-day trial and uh, one free book credit.